Hello, this is Siri, and you're listening to my favorite podcast, Not Real Art. I live for this shit because it's totally lit. Greetings, artists and art lovers. Welcome to Not Real Art, series' favorite creative culture podcast. I'm your host, Sourdough, and today I am joined by the one and only B-Core Kelly, Kelly Voigt. How are you, sir? Good morning. I'm doing well. It's the best day ever. Dude, you look good. You look happy. I am. But you know something I don't know? Gratitude will do that to you, so I'm just trying to be grateful. I'm not trying. I mean, I am grateful. We have a lot to be grateful for. I do. As do most of us. What are you feeling grateful for today? Well, the simple basics I try not to overlook and take advantage of, and that's my health and my family, right? So all that is clicking, and I I dwell on that, and I meditate daily, and that's a focus of it. So I start with that every day. And then, um, you know, creatively, there's just a lot of interesting things happening right now, uh, not the least of which is is the stuff you're doing, which I find very inspiring, as I was telling you earlier. Awesome. Thank you. And so um, there's just hope, uh, endless opportunity and possibilities mm-hmm. seem to be uh, unfolding. Yeah. And I'm choosing to pursue that, I guess, and, and, and give it with, with intention. With intention. Well, but you, you mentioned the F word, the family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the other F word. you're going with that. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a dad too. And, you know, we have that in common. And, uh, you know, although my kids are way young, I have a daughter who's six and a half and a son who's two. Um, I need help, brother. Help, help a brother out. Like, how did you do it? You didn't get the manual, huh? Okay. <laughs> oh, there's a manual? <laughs> <laughs> if only. You know, it all it all is tied together, right? It all, always, everything is rooted in love, compassion, um, yep gratitude and appreciation so no matter what you're doing when you're rooted in that you're going to be set so that that's the start managing expectations we want the best for our children uh in a weird way we want them to not do anything that we did (laughs) that made us who we are right (laughs) so my kids are older i have a daughter in college i have some adult children i have a my youngest is now you know 17 junior high school so cool so they're they're and those are the ones you just those are the only ones you know about i mean what (laughs) so you know they're pushing boundaries they're they're testing limits themselves um they're dabbling in areas uh, that that that, you know as a parent ironically as a wild kid not only was i rebellious homeless incarcerated all, all the horrible things i would never wish on anyone but also the source of some of the best memories and, and yeah. taught me so many lessons I'm trying to shield them from. Right. 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 So I have to remind myself that it's okay um, for them to fall, to trip, yeah. to make mistakes. And that's my little bit of uh, advice is to let go a little bit. So, I mean, in all candor, you know, one of my greatest fears as a dad is that I don't have the tools, right? That I need to be a good parent, a good dad, you know, because, you know, when I think about my dad, right, my dad, one of the best things he gave me was his work ethic, right? And my dad uh, loved us, no doubt, but he was also a taskmaster and he was an authoritarian, but he came to it because of his reality, which was that his dad, he didn't have a dad. 
right? His dad died when he was a baby. And then he had a stepdad who was a fucking asshole, who was an alcoholic and who was at times physically abusive to him, if not always emotionally abusive to him and his mom. And so from my dad, my so growing up like that, my dad in his mind was like, well, to be a good dad, I need to not drink, which my dad never drank or smoked. I need to have, hold down a job. I need to provide for my family and I just need to be like there for them. And, you know, so that was what my dad did. You know, he was there. He was the rock. He was the provider. But, you know, we weren't going camping together. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, it wasn't that kind of that kind of vibe. Right. But I know he loved me and I know he did his best. So here I am now. Right. A dad. And I want to bring the best things forward. But I also want to, you know add and deliver on things that I didn't have. And yet sometimes I, I, I worry that uh, I can't do it, you know, because I, that, that example wasn't set. You know, what was what you're talk about your dad for a little bit. I mean, how, what did he give you good, bad and indifferent? Yeah. Well, before I go there, let me just say this. My experience has been and I'll speak to this a little bit that generations leapfrog each other and the kid rebels against the the parental units, unit, whatever that situation was. So the real religious family raises a kids who reject it perhaps and go crazy. And then they raise kids who turn back to religion. You know, it's just, it's an odd thing. I'm not saying it's a blanket, yeah. uh, but it's been my experience. I've seen it over and over again, right. that there's a sort of uh, leapfrogging and, and you even spoke to it a little bit of yourself, right? As far as your grandfather's experience with his son and your dad. Yep. My background as it relates to my parenting is my biological mother and father were never married. And so I didn't know my biological father until I was about 14 years old. Wow. My mom married a guy when I was two, mm -hmm. he adopted me. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, he was my dad as mm -hmm. far as I was concerned. Mm -hmm. And my my grandmother on my mother's side didn't like my stepdad. And so she was constantly filling my head with what an asshole he was and how my real dad was this wonderful person who just, you know, spoke seven languages and was worldly and wealthy and yada, yada, yada. Despite all that, my stepfather, you know, took care of me, gave me my sense of humor, um, provided for us. He was a barber and had six kids. I mean, yeah. you can't even imagine how right. challenging that must have been. I certainly didn't know. So, so I'm raised in this religious family. What religion? Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. So I was very, very participatory. You know, they're proselytizers. I was knocking on people's doors at the yep. age of five and six years old yep. and speaking at conventions and all this stuff. So there's a lot here. So yeah, me. <laughs> we got a lot of time, my friend. This is fascinating. But it all, but it all comes together. So, so I'm. I'm, I'm sorry to understand now why you're an artist. By the way, go ahead. <laughs> Tortured soul here. <laughs> so I have this respect for my stepfather, and this also illusion of this super dad out there somewhere <clears throat> that I'm looking forward to meet at some point in time, and wondering where I came from. A little bit of that. My mom wrestled with depression, mental uh, health issues, was institutionalized, attempted suicide in my presence when, oh, before oh my I was God. 12 years old, um, had a brother run away from home, the elder, my, my the oldest kid in the family, I'm the second um, one, he ran away from home. And so I had all this turmoil, instability, mm -hmm. you know, my mom wasn't a very loving person. And her mother was not either. So again, yeah, to your right. point, I yes. saw this pattern developing. So yeah. at the age of 16, I bounced. I, I dropped out of school. I got a job, moved in uh, to an apartment and started my own life at a very young age. You said 16. 16, yeah. uh, just, just before turning 17, to right. be honest. Yeah. So anyway, 
I had met my dad a couple years, my real father a couple years before that, uh, went to visit him in Miami. He was a big VP of marketing for 7up International, South yeah. America, the Caribbean, all this stuff. Now, so. now I know where you get the, the marketing from. <laughs> Nature versus nurture. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was like, and he had three daughters and a, and a wife, and they were just this wonderful life in, in, in Miami. And so I was like, all right, cool. I know where I'm from. I met everybody, and I, I thought this was great. And I felt just sort of odd. I said, Here, how dare I insert myself into this life? And so I kind of pulled back. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, you know, I was, I was excommun- <laughs> excommunicated from the religion for doing things that kids do. Right. You know, made some bad decisions. And uh, so then I lost my complete social network, family, yeah. community, everything, and found myself living on the streets at the age of That's 17. That's devastating, the fact that, you know, I mean, at such a young age, just because you're being a boy, yeah. just because you're being a kid, boom. Doing things that kids did. Being, I mean, you know, you're disowned and, and put out. Yeah. Yeah. So- Anyway, that's you talk about skill set and parenting and what yeah. to do. All I knew is I wasn't going to do what my mom did. Right. I turned my back on organized religion because yeah. of that, probably as much as anything. Then what I did learn, though, was just to sort of be present mm-hmm. because you can't think about the future too much when you're worried about what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep. Right. You know, you're just like right in it every yep. day. And so I think that was a valuable lesson. I don't want my kids to have to learn that lesson that way. Yep. But I do want them to learn presence, gratitude, mm-hmm. appreciation. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if I answered your question. No, you don't. No, no. But I mean, we're, we're talking about how we show up as parents, right? And, you know, and how we are, the way we are, you know, how our parents shaped us, good, bad, and indifferent. You know, I've had, it's funny. I um, like, you know, all kids, right? I've had my gripes with my parents. But to be able to provide a home. To be able to provide food, be able to provide clothes, be able to provide love, you know, the best they could, you know, sometimes I get, I feel guilty about criticizing because I know that they, they did the best they could, you know, but they were trying to make me in their own image. And when I think about what I'm trying to do as a dad, it sounds lofty and it sounds whatever, but like what I'm trying to do is create the space that allows my kids to become who they're meant to become and that they're comfortable in their own skin walking into any room in the world, you know, and that sounds cool, but boy, is it going to be fucking hard. And I feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm making this shit up as I go, you know, we are making it up as we go, but where you're coming from is the critical key, I believe. And I'm the same way. I'm like, I want them to be whomever they're going to be. I don't want to push them in any one direction, I'm not leaving them to fend for themselves as children, of yeah, course. Right. But at the same time, um, you know, let them explore, learn, try different things, question authority, question beliefs, yep. adopt belief systems. You know, that's what is the DNA of who we end up becoming. But again, just warmth, love, acceptance, support, uh, encouragement, all of those things. Not, 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 not this, you know, blind yeah. uh, participation trophy sort of yeah. uh, approach. Um, I, I like to challenge them and celebrate when they challenge themselves and overcome adversity or challenges and difficulties and so on. Yeah. But um, definitely, you know, self-worth and uh, feeling appreciated, loved, and belonging, that confidence is critical. I was just reading an article yesterday about people of means, wealthy people, generational mm-hmm. wealth. They possess a skill or a trait rather skill yeah they possess a trait of confidence and the and the studies suggest it's overconfidence right they often feel they're 
uh, more competent at things than they actually are statistically. Right. And then that bleeds over too. So people then imbue this sense of competency based on confidence. Right. And if you think about it, you know, a con man, I'm sure everybody knows this, comes from the term confidence. They build confidence in right. their story in you to in order to get you to, to invest in them. So while that can be misapplied and taken, you know, advantage of, it's a good it's a good thing to have in your in your children to build in them as confidence. You know, you're not going to get bullied uh, as easily if you're comfortable with yourself and you're confident and you're going to be raised to stick up for others and reach out and appreciate others. All those are valuable yeah. qualities, especially as we move into the 20, you know, through the 21st century with technology and artificial yeah. intelligence and all these skill sets that we don't know our children are going to need from a practical standpoint. Right. That ability to, to, to be flexible, to have confidence, um, and, and adaptable, that's going to be key to whatever career path they might have to find. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that, <laughs> well, there are many things, but the one thing to the top you know, of the list that I hope my kids don't do that I did, you know, I hope that they decide to call me when they're drunk at a party and need to ride home. Yeah. You know, because the last person I was calling when I was drunk at a party <laughs> was my dad. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and we've instilled that in our kids. I mean, yeah. having to have the conversation about birth control, respect, sexual activity and what that means in terms of both respect and, and protection and all those things. I didn't get that from my religiously yeah. fanatic parents because it was abstinence yep. until marriage and yep. all that stuff. So. Yep. You know, you don't want to go, here's your hall pass, go have at it. Uh, there is a little bit of a balance there, but you have to acknowledge that this is this is what is going to happen and does happen and give them good good guidelines. And, and yes, you're absolutely right. What I value above all else is honest communication. Yeah. I just want them to know and be honest and truthful with me so that I can be there for them. You've and got give their them back. A, that's it. That's right. Yeah, that's it. And then that's the thing. It's like, if as long, I just want them to know I'm their comrade. I've got their back. When the shit hits the fan- they can call me no judgment. You know, yeah. you reference an article you read. I read an article um, not too long ago and I won't get the names right. But basically there was this Harvard, you know, world renowned expert in child development, you know, Harvard guy who had written a new book and he was out lecturing uh, about this new book. And one of the, the moms or, you know, in the audience stood up and asked question and said, you know, as an expert in child development, you know, Harvard uh, professor, uh, et cetera, please tell me, what's the number one thing I can do to give my kid the best chance of getting into Harvard? And without skipping a beat, he looked at her and he said, the best thing you can do to give your kid a chance of getting into Harvard is to go home and love your husband. Yeah. And I love that. Um, boy, that speaks volumes. Right? Indeed. Indeed. Or you can also pay half a million dollars to some facilitator, <laughs> as I understand it. <laughs> uh, so, so let's break it down. I mean, you've got you've got a few kids. So, what do we got? We got athletes, artists, scientists. What do we got in the on the lineup here? Uh, on my way over this morning, I was thinking about that. Three of my children are are really great artists in drawing, painting. Uh, one is a singer. She's currently a junior at the Herb Alpert School of Music at UCLA, wow. performing already and just loves all kinds of music, you know, jazz, Afro-Cuban, chorale, opera, it doesn't matter. Wow. 
and then uh, and then athlete musicians, yeah, um, and then a couple of my daughters uh, are also uh, just really smart, good people in general. You know, um, respectful, modest, humble, and yet confident at the same time. Yeah. Um, so whatever I, i'm super proud of all of them like i guess most parents are uh wouldn't change a thing um uh, they, they've had some difficulties some some you know real difficulties in my first marriage after my divorce when the kids were young they they had some challenges that it was a very vitriolic divorce but they've come through you know with shining colors and i i'm, I'm really proud of our relationship and proud of them. Yeah. yeah it's really good. Right on, man. Uh, congratulations. I, I, lucky, I guess. Yeah. You know, I, oh, I, I, for sure, I, right? Grateful either way. I'll take I mean, it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You got to you you got to have uh, some, you know, some good luck on your side as well, right? I mean, uh, how many parents are in situations that are extra tough because, you know, they they don't have that good luck, you know? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. unfortunate circumstances. Yeah. It's not bad parenting. You can get hit by who knows what. Well, that's right. Health and otherwise. So, again. So, are they going to – so, are any, any of the kiddos going to follow in the family business? Well, two of my oldest daughters work for B Corps mm -hmm. in the accounting department. So, there is that. My oldest son worked for us for a while as well. Uh, the younger two, I don't think so. Um, you know, she is – my Chloe has got her music uh, – eye on music. It doesn't matter yeah. whether – I mean, she she was looking at music therapy as a potential career. Um, Very cool. Besides just performing, teaching, all of that, and then my son will figure it out. He's he's right at that age where you know, last year he was going to be on the Lakers and also play for the Saints. You know, so all that was covered. Uh, as he gets older, he's starting to look at other things. Sure. So so we're at that point where we have to start. As I said, I didn't even graduate high school, let alone college. So I don't know how to. Tell him what to do. As yeah. he, I, I'm critical of the education system yes, personally. 100%, 100%. No, I mean, I think we put a very uh, unrealistic, unfair pressure on kids to answer impossible questions at 17. What are you going to be? What are you going to do, you know, for the rest of your life? You know, like, it's ridiculous. It's a journey, you know? And I mean, sure, some people are, you know, predisposed to medicine or science or sports or whatever. That's great music. Yeah. Um, but you know, most of us just figuring it out as we go. Yeah. And I, and I think easy for me to say, not having gone through the the experience, college has this sort of false promise of totally. uh, success and access and all these other things. And they, they certainly play a role in that and have in the past, but where we are today, I, I look at the college education system and the ed education system in general as this antiquated system born out of the industrial revolution yeah. and the need to put people into the workforce and management, this, that. And ironically, we've lost support for the arts. And I know this sounds cliche and everybody says it, but I believe this fervently. It's the arts that teach us to think critically, to, to think differently, to find solutions out of nothing or out of previous experience or others. It's it's compassionate. It shines a light on the ugly side of life, which we need to face and address um, versus this patinaed, shiny version that everyone wants to put forth. Yep. So, so there's no guarantee. You know, I might be viewed as a success and I didn't graduate high school or go to college, but that's not the route either. I'm not right. to say it is. I just don't know. My daughter, she's she's in college. I'm paying for that because she knows what she wants and yeah. she's pursuing it. And so so I'm okay with that. Right. If she had gone, I don't know, maybe business major, poli sci, I don't right. know, then I would wrestle with it. And that's kind of where my son is right now. So I don't know where that'll go. But I do value an education. Despite my 
lack of formal education, I consider myself well-read. I read voraciously and have. So I'm pro-education yes. outside of the institutional sure. sort of. Well, box. and I, yeah, 100%. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day who was pondering college and I said, you know, my two cents, they were asking my opinion. I said, if I were you, I would encourage you to focus on, don't declare a major, don't declare a major. Focus on your general ed first couple of years. You got to take all that stuff anyway. Let yourself experience college. Let yourself question, you know, sample some things, do your research. You know, don't feel pressured to, you know, declare a major because you're, you're going to change it three times. You're going to waste all that money and waste all that time. Focus on the liberal arts. And that was the other thing I said to him. I said, consider the liberal arts, you know, because we need, we've got enough fucking MBAs. We don't need any goddamn MBA, you know, like, the problems, existential problems facing mankind moving forward are going to have to be solved by new thinking, new paradigms, new models that are largely going to come from, I think, folks who have that artistic, liberal arts centric point of view where, you know, you can critique, you can question, you can see. And um, of course, I'm sure they disregarded everything I said. And, you know, <laughs> well, like, I'd love to see a merge of it. You yeah, know, right. I don't necessarily think that things need to live in these silos. Yeah. If you're a liberal arts student and you can't be about STEM. Uh, right. I disagree. Even at my business uh, in the workplace, we worship at the altar of youth, right? Yep. Society, as yep. I, I tease my, I tell my wife all the time, the, the celebrities of the future are going to be infants, you know? <laughs> Um, ah, if so they're not true. already yes. <clears throat> North Kardashian, but anyway, uh, you know, when you can mix the two together, then you have the best of everything. So let's, let's keep the liberal arts mentality and education and thinking with, with the science yes. and, and, and math, yes. um, you know, art uses science and math. Um, so, so you put those together, yep. our forces combined, you know, anything yeah. is possible. And there are a lot of smart and creative people in the world today. Uh, if we could get away from just focusing on how to build better weapons or make more money, we could solve some of these other issues. I, I, on my way over today, I was listening to an interview or I was on the news, this, this general retired admiral or general or something, military expert, you know, what's your biggest fear? Iran, Iraq, this, that, Korea. He said, education. That's my biggest fear is we're not educating our our youth, and, that, and that's going to be a problem. And I, I, for once, agreed with one of the hawks. <laughs> well, by the way, and it's funny, and and it's interesting you bring that up because I have said myself for a while, like in my frustration with the Democratic Party lately, or politicians generally, is what I call lack of imagination. You know these these. You know, we we use the same old parlance, the same old jargon, the same old paradigms, the same old rhetoric to talk about stuff when in fact we need new ideas. We need, you know, so point I'm getting at is the idea of education and even healthcare. Like, isn't there an argument to be made? I think there is an argument to be made that education and healthcare for our citizens from zero to say 21 or 23, whatever. It should be a function of the defense budget, right? Because what, what good is uh, a country with citizens not worth defending? You know, if they're dumb and they're unhealthy, and we, you know, why wouldn't we want a citizenry that was the most educated? And and because if your citizens are the first line of defense anyway, you want them to be smarter, you want them to be healthy. You know, let's pay for it out of the defense budget. Yeah, if we can build a wall out of the defense budget, we <laughs> can know, certainly like educate good, people. Damn, I, I agree. It's a holistic view yes. at, at the thing, yes. right? 
I think it was even Churchill was speaking about art said if, yeah. if we're if we're not going to appreciate art then what the hell are we fighting for right. you know right. uh, we have this this society and culture is is what we're at the end of the day all fighting for well and you and I I mean we come from similar backgrounds in terms of our careers working in brand you know brand marketing and 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 uh, uh, consumer engagement and what have you and so you know there are these phrases right that we hear and you know human centered design is one of those phrases right and you know what i wouldn't give to have a politician say yeah you know we're actually working towards a human centered government with policies designed with humans in the in the middle and around human needs you know th- that's that new language you know yeah. that gets beyond socialism that gets beyond some of these ideas you know we have this hypocrisy where we'll talk about oh the government you know we we fetishize you know business you know oh, we need to run our government like a business um, well, I don't agree with that necessarily, but I do think there's a lot of things we could learn from business and, you know, human centered design principles would be, I think, very helpful when it, yeah. when you think about, you know, policy design. But of course, you know, they design policy overnight uh, and rush these things through the house and, and Congress. And of course, good design takes time. Yeah. We're in a constant state of reaction, band-aids immediately fingered in the dike, whatever, you know, you want to apply to it. The government has become this giant machine that is not going to change overnight and we get hung up on vernacular right you know socialism democratic socialism conscious capitalism versus capitalism all this stuff yeah it's silly let's just talk plain and get to the core let's get off the symptoms and get to the you know the real root of the the issues here um there is so much rhetoric and most politicians are are glib and charismatic and well-spoken and and this is probably a big part of the attraction of donald trump is he doesn't speak that way he takes like the regular folk or, yeah. or the uneducated whom he loves. So, you know, I love language despite my lack of formal education. I'm a big fan of etymology and and where words come from and and, and what they mean. And, you know, communication is is the crux of, of any society, right? Yeah. It's how we share our ideas. That's why I love art so much. It's another means of communication. So, Yes, I agree a hundred percent. You know, I I don't know how that change is going to come, but I will say this: revolution never comes from the top down; it always comes from the bottom up. So, yeah. if we can start in our ho- household, in our neighborhood, yep. in our city, our counties, our state, whatever, from the ground up, and apply and live our lives the way we know benefits our communities, then that's our best hope. Yeah. Uh, to imagine some charismatic politician, whether it be Buttigieg or or Kamala Harris or or Trump or whomever, doesn't matter. Yeah. This country or any other country, imagine that they're going to come in and make it all happen. Is just unrealistic. Well, they say all politics are local, right? And to your point, what then is the center of my political universe? My home, yeah, my house, my children, yeah, and uh, yeah. I and mean, then teaching them those values that they'll, that's they'll right. grow and nurture and share going back to the beginning of this conversation, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What can we, the tools we have is we don't need to turn them into us, but we can, we can um, help them value uh, what is important. You know, we jumped into this heavy shit so quickly, <laughs> family and politics and parenting and this and the other, like, like, I don't even think that I mentioned how grateful I am that you're here today. Oh, gratitude's all mine, man. Thank me. you for coming. Like it's so cool. I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time. You even have a podcast, do you not? 
Uh, I don't have a podcast. I've I've begun interviewing people. Okay. Um, just sort of, yeah, I don't know where that's going to go. I just okay. like talking to people and, and sort of hearing stories yes. and sharing them. Yes. Um, so we'll see where it ends up. But mm-hmm. I listened to yours and I, I've fantasized about being on it. So here it is. I'm here today. <laughs> well, uh, it's exciting. yeah, we, if, if you wait long enough, fantasies <laughs> might come true. If, if, oh, I just hope reality lives up to it. Um, You'll well, be yeah, both. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's great to have you. And, um, you know, you're one of my favorite people, you and I. I met, um, fuck, I don't even remember like how we even connected oh, through Tom Wallace, of oh, course. That's right. And yeah, Kathleen, that's, that's right. how we connected. Yeah. And, you know, it's just one of these beautiful friendships of two f- souls coming together, two people coming together from completely different backgrounds and yet connecting and well, and, listen, you know, uh, w- different backgrounds, except we were, uh, to your point earlier, we were, we were in the marketing world, right? Yeah. So we did share that. Yeah. But what I, one of the things I love about our friendship and relationship is it's not rooted in any transactional thing. What right. can you do for me? What right. can I do for you? 100%. Um, we talk about it like, hey, it'd be great to work together. But we, know, we always talk we about it. But we never, yeah, it. It's like, eh, why well, ruin it? <laughs> because it'll be, it'll be right when it happens. That's right. And, and I, I, right. I, I, one of the few benefits of growing older is you learn not to force stuff yeah let it come to you and and 100 i i've uh as it relates to this topic as i've been engaging in linkedin uh over the past couple of years i've really made a point of contacting the people who's putting out content i like you know their their point of view or they put you know just what they stand for yes just something interesting and so i'll connect with them right and and it's not a reason i joined linkedin originally was obviously all right there's a networking thing and get some business out of it let people know i'm here and i can help them but I'm a relationship guy. Yeah, I, all my career in sales and marketing has always been about relationship. And I try to always say, I got to bring, be a service. Even before I knew what service leadership was, servant leadership, because of my experience as a homeless person, appreciating, you know, grateful for people who've, who were there for me when I needed them. I live by that and try to be the same way. So um, I've, I've decided I want to reach out and get to know these people. So I, I connect. Then I send a couple of messages back and forth. Then I ask them if they would like to get on a phone call and chat because I think just hearing voice and, the, you know, the the nuance of, of conversation is lost and when it's just in written form. And then I try to meet in person. And I've, I've met at least maybe 12 to 15 folks this way. I don't know if I've gotten any business out of it yet. I, I, I think I have actually, I, I take that back, I have. But it's been rooted out of this idea of like, hey, let's let's get to know each other. I, I like what I see, I'd like to pursue this further. I'm willing to put myself out. Are you willing to be vulnerable? Let's meet and chat and, and put aside this transactional nature for just a moment. Yes. We, we, we recognize we're business people and we're here to make a, a deals or whatever that is, but it all still comes out of, I like the person, I trust them, I think they're creative, they've got solutions I want. All of that's all tied together. And I've really enjoyed that. And and that's, I think, why our friendship is so grounded and, and because it's not built around just what can you do for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's chemistry, right? I mean, you either connect or you don't, there's either a reaction or there isn't, and hopefully it's positive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's a good point too, because sometimes in life you have to realize whether it's a personal relationship, a friendship, a business relationship, whatever, these are not my people. Yeah. And so I don't have to force them to change or get disappointed. I just have to acknowledge and recognize some are not my people and that's okay, but I don't have to invest in it and I can manage my expectations. So, you know, that whole thing says either, either change it, uh, accept it or walk away. Right. Yeah. So, when you find your people, value it, cherish it, nurture it, invest in it. And if it's not your people, don't don't 
invest in it and waste your time with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, when I look back, I'm, I turned, uh, by the way, I uh, turned 49 the other day. That's right. 49 <laughs> spins around the sun. I'm a little dizzy. Youngster. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I don't think my, if you could see inside <laughs> my liver, <laughs> liver damage, I don't know that you'd call me a youngster. But when I think back on, you know, my life thus far, like I have to confess, I mean, some of my biggest, call them failures, call them, you know, well, yeah, call them failures were because I was listening to my head and not my heart. I was listening to my head, my mind, and not my intuition. My gut was trying to tell me that person's not right or that deal's not good or, you know, and, but because my head was in my, my ego maybe was so in play, it's like, you're trying to fit that round peg in a square hole saying, no, if I can, you know, if I just say this or just do this, or if this just happens, it'll all be okay. And of course, you know, that it, it never works that way. And, you know, to have that, that sense of self and that, that intuitive connection to, to identify those relationships that are healthy, Mm -hmm. and walk away from the ones that are not. I mean, you know, that that hopefully is something you get better at over age. I know some people who are still struggling, <laughs> but yeah, the ego is a very powerful force. There's a lot of conversation and a lot of study going around that right now and it serves a function. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's talk about ego dissolution. Um it does serve as function, but man, we can get led around by it and just and that can be a bad bad thing. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, ego dissolution. What is that? Well, dissolution of the ego uh, in in the, in the parlance of the modern times right now. There's a lot of talk around um, psychedelics. Yes, is, is sort of one of the sure, leading. Denver, Colorado just uh, decriminalized uh, magic mushrooms. That's yeah. right. So with psychedelics, there's this from the people who have taken it, and you hear them. And Michael Pollan wrote about it in his book, right? How to change your mind, I think it was called. This sense of when you when you dissolve the ego and you recognize that you are just part of this larger thing, yes, call it consciousness, call it energy, call it God, whatever the term is, the fact of the matter is when everything we know about the universe is that it's all symbiotic. Yes. It's all interconnected and related. Yes. And the ego wants us to separate ourselves from that. And and then it, you know, it can be exploded to cultural norms like where this idea of individualism and, you know, bootstraps and self-made man and all this stuff celebrates this whole separation and independence. And uh, the ego plays a large part in that. And so the reality is the ego is this voice. It's just this chatter that's not real. It, it's designed to kind of protect us, right? It's a, it's a defense mechanism mm -hmm. by and large, but uh, it, it can, it can become this master and it's, and, and instead of being a tool that's used and should be used, it can become a master much like any other thing. Mm -hmm. So there are folks who espouse that if you can dissolve the ego or, or primarily do that and recognize that you're not better, you're not in conflict, but you're in harmony, uh, then success will 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 ensue. All of our happiness has to come from within, right? Yep. Things can't make us happy. People can't make us happy. They can inspire happiness and yep. things of this nature, but it, it's got to come from inside. You got to love yourself, be con happy with yourself, and 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 have a solid foundation. Whether you're a parent or a partner or, or in solitude, yep. so. That when I speak about ego dissolution, that's that's where it's coming from. Separating that from from this identity that we feel like we're trying to create or live up to or follow or become, we just are. Yeah. And and if you can just be and recognize that in yourself and others, mm -hmm. then then 
then cooperation ensues, compassion ensues. Once you have compassion, you can forgive. Once you can forgive, you can love. And when you love, uh, everything is, is, is great. Nothing bad ever comes out of true love. Yes. <laughs> uh, and yet. <laughs> yet. And yet. That's the conundrum. <laughs> you know, love doesn't sell like hate and anger and sex and violence. You know, no. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I don't understand. Almost everybody I know agrees and believes that love is the root of all good things and, and that we want what's best for ourselves and others and we're altruistic. And yet, mankind, not, not being gender specific here, as a species, finds ways to, to take advantage of and harm and hurt. Yeah. And, do do all these things in the interest of I guess self-preservation probably the ego is a big part of that as well so right I wonder to what extent sometimes population growth uh, if you believe the in the collective unconscious if you believe you know as I do and I agree mm -hmm. with you you know that we're all connected and we're basically you know beings of you know we're, we're basically energy that you know is comprised of the universe and the universe is us and we are the universe. Oh, shit, I'm getting old. I just lost my thought. I I, I don't know if this is where you're going, <laughs> yeah, but please, when when you up, examine, yeah, when yeah. you examine why do why do these bad things happen? You know, I look at it this way: our brains are receptors and transmitters of sorts, yeah. right? And so the consciousness is out there, and 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 we either tap in or not. So some people their transmitters aren't fine tuned or they're broken yeah. or something like. So I, I assume that that that's why uh, some people behave in this sort of aberrant way i don't know that that's the case but it's you know that that seems to answer it for me yeah i mean what i, what I was gonna say was that population growth right oh, yeah that's right you know to the extent that our collective unconscious can sense things um whether we're aware of it or not right um i just wonder to what extent sometimes this angst this anger comes from a feeling of of danger and and, and a, a sense of threat we're threatened by this truth that we are overpopulating this planet and our species on some unconscious level understands that we're putting ourselves in an existential threat because we can't possibly continue to expand as we've done, you know, and are exponentially. And I just wonder if on some unconscious level that is driving this sense of stress and anxiety because um, and you can layer in all the other stuff, you know, whether it's, you know, opportunity disparity, uh, income in, in disparity, you know, the, the political shit. But even if Trump wasn't president, even if we were all fully employed, you know, we still have 8 billion plus people on this planet and we'll have, what, 12 billion inside the next few years. Like, at what point can – I mean, th this has real consequence, sure. right? Well, I, I wouldn't discount the layering uh, when you consider that the planet has the ability, the resources to sustain the amount of people on the planet right now. It's just that there's a concentration of resources in limited areas and a lack of access in others. Um, so it's out of balance right now, yes. first of all. So yeah. it's not just overpopulation. It's The root is that, that the resources aren't allocated across the board. That having been said, listen, the ego again, we want to control and understand. Yeah, right. Got to make sense of it. There's yeah. a God in the heaven. He's got a plan. Yeah. So that's comforting or mm. there's not. Um, we, we, we want to know. We want to figure it out where it's happening. But the reality is we don't know. Yeah. And so it's going to do what it's going to do at some level, right? right? Yeah. We are 
reproducing and some some species uh disappear and new ones evolve and adapt and yep. we're just another yep. one of them so yep. i you know we are getting real heavy on stuff here but we do have the ability to take care of ourselves right now despite yeah. the the number so it's a it's a priority thing right yeah. there's all kinds of issues and problems we can think about uh just limiting the population is not going to solve it as quickly as if we said hey Let's let's adopt policies that say we're going to take care of those that need to be taken care of yeah. in some form or fashion. I'm not advocating one political ideology, mm -hmm. just the general sense of do what's right, take care of the community. Yeah. And the community, uh, you know, I love Lus Russell Brand's He's on fire right now, by the way. Shout out Russell Brand. He is on fire. He talks about immigration. <laughs> he goes, you do realize that, you know, an immigrant is someone who used to be standing over there, you know? <laughs> Another standing yeah, there. Exactly. Uh, like when you break it down in yes. simple terms like that, it's yes. such a wonderful thing. Remind yeah. us that we're all together. No, exactly. And I, you know, I want to be clear, like getting back to gratitude. Like I am so grateful to have my fleeting moment in the sun to participate in this crazy thing called nature and the universe and, you know, to have a physical body and to be able to, you know, personify my consciousness and sit down with you today. Like, and it's all going to be what it's going to be. <laughs> like, like, right. not, nature wins in the end, dude. Like, like I'm totally cool with that. You know, we are just here for the ride at some level. It's just, are you familiar with Robert service? I don't think the, so. Okay. He has a, po he's a, he was considered himself a rhymer, although some people would maybe call him a poet, but he was hugely popular during kind of gold rush kind of era. And, um, he wrote a poem called the world's all right. The world's all right. And I'll send it to you because it gets to, it's kind of long. Otherwise, I'd just read it to you now, but you dig it. It's, I would love to read yeah, it. The world's all right. Serene, I sit and cease to puzzle over it. Beautiful. Nature knows what she's about. And it just goes on and on. And on. Yeah. But, um, anyway. So true. So true. But it's different than the who's, the kids are all right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But in the meantime, we have, uh, what do they call kitchen table issues uh, at hand? I mean, you have payroll to meet, my friend. How's business at B Corp? Uh, gratitude prevails yet again. Um, we recently hired a guy, Steve Dupay from uh, Dupay, excuse me, from uh, GMR Marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, a couple hundred million dollar agency mm -hmm. in the Midwest to come and help us learn what we didn't know. Yeah. You know, so since his coming on board, things have really sort of we've matured, kind of gotten a little bit sharper. I'm really proud of what my partners and I have built, Mark and Should Nicole be. and I out of a garage in Hollywood, you know, 20 years ago to, to, to working with some of the most notable brands in the world. Yep. But more importantly, mentoring young people, women, people of color, of, of any background, helping them learn the business. Many of my former employees have gone on to start their own companies. I'm proud of that. So, so we, we were doing some really good things. Uh, then kind of plateaued as it relates to uh, growth, which, you know, that's a necessary component happens, of capitalism. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a requirement. Yeah. So the idea was, what do we do from here? And so we brought someone in to help us just learn things. Mm -hmm. uh, none of us had a, a traditional marketing background. M Mark, the founder, was a restaurant guy. I was in the sign industry. Uh, Nicole, our, our CFO, was was a Disney princess in Disney Tokyo. Um, <laughs> you know, so just just we didn't have that formal kind of training. Um, and so we're, we're going back to school right now. And so it has, it's proved immediately uh, beneficial in terms of 
profitability, mm-hmm. um, the type of work we're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, we went from kind of producing events and things and creative to being at, invited to the table for strategy conversations and planning out ahead. And, and that's a beautiful thing. Experiential marketing in general has been sort of the redheaded stepchild up, up to the you know last couple of years. Yeah. And so it was always, hey, we got a couple of bucks left over. Let's do an event or let's do a, right. a thing or a tour or a pop-up or whatever. But now this this idea of, of, of not selling to people and yakking at them and talking at them, but really engaging puts us uh, in, a, in a sweet spot. And, uh, and so we bring 20 years of experience to the table um, and that's being recognized and that's rewarding, not just financially, but dare I say spiritually, you know, it's, it's rewarding to, to, to feel like you're doing stuff that matters in the real world with real people. I love that about our, about our work. Yeah. So it's, it's great. Yeah. You know, you guys were on the, as I recall, I could have this wrong, but uh, you guys were on the tip of the spear when it comes to ex- experiential marketing. I, mean, I feel you, like we were. Yeah. I, I, statistically, there are some agents out there who who have played in the space before we did, yeah. but uh, we solely did that from from day one, right? And 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 viewed it as such, viewed it as real engagement, not event marketing or event production, but it was real engagement. Engagement. Yeah. Our, our name, B Core, you know, was about being authentic. Yeah. Uh, sorry to use the A word, but. Uh, it's not a bad word just because everyone else makes it a bad word. Um, to be, you know, authentic, credible, real, yes. listen. Yes. Don't imagine you know everything and don't listen to some 60-year-old white dude saying what the kids are all into. That's bullshit, you know? Yeah. There's there's a guy out there right now by the name of Greg Witt who 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 uh, talks about Generation Z, if we have to put a label on things, but he talks with them. And so he's bringing insights that are coming right from the kids, yeah. not his- Yeah perception of what the crazy kids are doing these days, like that Steve Buscemi meme, you know, <laughs> hey, fellow kids or whatever it is. So um, yeah, we were doing that from from the beginning without even realizing what what it was. Well, in, uh, in terms of leaders, sort of leader brands who really sort of own this idea of, of experiential marketing in terms of you know, non-traditional brand or brands that use non-traditional marketing, you know, AKA experiential marketing, because maybe they didn't have the budgets to do TV print or radio. And so they had to think unconventionally and do the gorilla stuff or what have you. I mean, the brand that comes to mind, I think most times is Red Bull, right? Red Bull kind of make its mark in terms of experiential marketing. I would say so. I mean, it's the perfect zeitgeist, this this nexus of a, a category that didn't exist, yeah. at least in the Western world as we know, you know, energy drinks. And then this philosophy that threw conventional wisdom aside and said, we're going right to the core, right to the adventurous mind and body. This person who wants that, that's what the drinks, you know, revitalizes mind and body and create our own world. And if you want to join it, come on. If not, that's fine too. Uh, but instead of begging people to come in, they just led the way, and people said, "I want to, I want to get on that train right there." And that takes. Uh, I, I just interviewed. You know, you talk about podcasts. I just interviewed Dan Ginsburg recently, who was one of the. He was the CEO of uh, Red Bull early uh, Red Bull North America in the '90s, early mm-hmm. on. And you know, he said that they just did what they felt was right and what they believed in, and hired smart people who felt the same way. And it all sounds so cliche, but it's a perfect example of people really living up to what they said they mm. believed. They really did believe it. And the rest is history. It just catapulted. And of course, now they face other challenges because that's 
it's much easier to do when you're just building the category and you don't have any yeah. you know competitors right. and forces of nature, economic and otherwise, uh, pressing on you. Remember years ago in Chicago, uh, in my you know consumer brand packaging days, having a, a conversation with the you know, some guy from Red Bull. Um, I forget what trade show it was, but it was a trade show event at McCormick Place in Chicago. And uh, maybe so, maybe it was the houseware show, which sounds weird. But anyway, talking to the, the Red Bull dude and, you know, he's like, we will never change our packaging. Yeah. <laughs> we never have to. more than two SKUs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I was like, well, innovation, we will never change. I was like, well, cut two years later when Coca-Cola is uh, and there's more competition and what have you. Uh, boy, they've changed their, uh, their packaging uh, since then. But I love that brand. I love that product. Yeah. Shit, I drink it every like every day. <laughs> well, I would say this, you know, despite that commitment early on, and at that point in time, that was a true statement, yeah. right? And there's something to be said for just buying in 100% where you're at at that moment. And at the same time, acknowledging that you're evolving, you're maturing, circumstances yep. are such that dictate this. But to go in, too many other brands will go in and say, we're going to be whatever we need to be. Yeah. If that's where the wind blowing, we'll go there because that's where the people are and that's where the money is. You know, There's a danger in approaching it with that. But it's okay to, to, to say that we're not ever going to change because at that moment, you, you're so committed. And it's okay to change when, when the time is right to when do so. Right. A, a teenager shouldn't act like an adult before they're ready to, but an adult shouldn't act like a teenager necessarily either, yeah. right? So- I don't know if that's a good well, analogy. One of, the cool, one of the cool things that, that Red Bull, you know, has always done, I've done, they've done so many things, but um, one of the things I've always appreciated is their embrace of art and culture. Yes. Yes. Right? And they really, they really own that and really carved out and I think set a beautiful example for other brands in many ways. Yes. Um, and B Corp does a lot of work with art and culture. Yes. Yes. Kind of like what you were talking about as we, we talk about society's issues. Red Bull took the long look, the long approach. And when you support art and culture, you're doing a good thing for the community. You're respecting and acknowledging that community. You're giving first. That's rewarded with loyalty afterwards and, and respect and appreciation and admiration, which in turn can bubble down to sales. We support the arts because we like them. Uh, we're in the arts district. A lot, many of us are artists. They're they're the people I respect more than athletes personally, mm -hmm. or or certainly politicians. And so, you know, we're as a marketer, we're about culture. We have to know what's going on, but you have to contribute to culture. You can't just consume it. Yep. And and a marketer needs to, especially if a brand's coming to me and saying, "Hey, we want to talk to 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 the to the audience." I have to know who the audience is and what they're about. And if I don't have to know it personally, I can't know everything, but my team has to, you know, we have to be tapped into those folks. And by supporting the community, the art community and, and culture, uh, that, that feels good. It's rewarding. And it also has the other dividends that paid off. Right now, more than ever in a long time, artists are, are getting their fair due and their fair share. And what I love about the art that you and I are kind of closest mm -hmm. to, which is graffiti and street art, mm -hmm. is it's it's available to the masses. Yes, you know, uh, an artist can make a decent living selling twenty to hundred dollar prints or t shirts or hats or whatever. And so our job is not to make them wealthy or rich. 
um, but they should be able to live and, and, and we should support them so they can continue to provide the art that, that satisfies our soul and inspires us, right? Yep. And so now artists more than ever are, are being recognized and appreciated. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, the, the, the pendulum always swings, you know, in the seventies, music in particular, like rock stars and musicians were just wealthy and famous beyond recognition. And now, you know, that's harder to do because of technology and, but, but you have access to the, to the fan more directly. And so we, there's a paradigm shift happening in art. And right now, it's not so, it doesn't have to be so elitist and just for those with money. It can be for every person. I love the Banksies of the world and the man ones and the risk who are just out there doing beautiful things yep. that we have access to. Uh, you know, you can purchase it and bring some home and have, ha be a part of it without, without having to be, you know, rich and, all, and yet you're supporting them so they can continue to, to support themselves. That's a beautiful symbiotic thing that's happening and, and brands are tapping into it, which, on the one hand, I'm grateful because it provides resources for the artists, but there is a there is a it's a slippery slope. Brands like Red Bull are not asking for anything in return necessarily, but then you have other brands that are just like, "Hey, will you shove my shit in your art and make sure that you blah blah blah, so I can sell more of these things?" Maybe I'm being naive, but when it's so blatant, it 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 it, it taints it. When it's like, "I'm here to support you," and hopefully people will appreciate that and respond in kind. That's cool. That's yeah. democracy. Well, the, the drum I've been beating over the last few years in terms of this is like, it's prediction too. I, I think eventually this will happen, but I think eventually brands will, will do deals, will do endorsement deals with artists like they do celebrities and athletes. Yeah, I think right. we're even seeing some of, some it of that, right? You know, yeah. and but I mean, but to be a real art patron, yeah, and to say to because brands these days are looking for to build goodwill, right? They're looking for that social currency. They're you know trying to do this in an incredible way, right? That rings true, and for pennies on the dollar, yeah, they could they could become an art patron to an artist. And then that artist is, you know, with not a lot of uh, very little, if any, uh, kind of uh, quid pro quo, yeah. except that, you know, because, you know, the brands these days, right, they need content for those social channels. You know, artists are prolific generators of content. You know, it's a kind of a win-win, right, for for the right brand, the right artist to partner in a way that would support the artist in a meaningful way while also helping to um, create content for some of these channels. Yeah, and that's the low-hanging fruit. The beauty, the real meat, the real value that I think is available is this. You know, athletes are supported by brands because they're aspirational and they make us want to be better and confident that we can overcome things. And artists, whether it's paint, sculpture, music, poetry, acting, doesn't matter, they reflect the real world and they yeah. shine a light on it. And yeah. sometimes – you know, you shine a light and you see a couple cockroaches in the corner, whatever. Right. So we're at a time right now where brands are having to recognize that uh, social issues are important to people, and where where do you sit in there? You know, and artists shine the light there and stimulate a conversation, and they can stand for something or or not necessarily. Typically, you know, the artist just just says. It's not for me to say, but here it is. Yeah. This is what we've become. This is what society is doing. This is what's happening. Again, Banksy, another classic example of shining that light on things. And uh, if a brand is supportive of that, it, you know, 
then that's a wonderful reason to be a, a an art pa- a patron. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's and and we're in an area of vulnerability. This the shiny fake doctor telling you smoking cigarettes is good for you is gone, right? So if you're REI or Patagonia or Red Bull or whomever, and you're comfortable and you're willing to be who you are and throw it out there, then then what better way than to right. to align yourselves with the artists of the world because that's that's real. Yeah, I mean, you're hitting on the courage it takes, right, for a brand to trust the artist uh, because the artist is going to call bullshit. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of them are. Yeah. And it's important to, to hire a real, you know, to support a real artist. Yes. So, you yes. know, I, I, I speak to kids in the music But this, business. wait a minute, you said real artist, which yeah. implies real art. This is the not real art <laughs> right, podcast, right. my friend, which exactly. we'll get into in a minute, but please continue. Well, real by artist. that I mean, yes. uh, if, you're, if you're creating art because you just simply have to, and it's what you're called to do yeah. versus- um, this is my business decision and there's no shame in that. That's fine. Right. You want to, you want to make money by writing songs. Cool. Just, just own it. You know, right. when I say artist, real artist, it's the one who just says, I just have to create this. I'd be doing it whether I got paid or not. Right. Yeah. So what, is not what does the real non-real artist do? Yeah, I yeah, you have to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so funny. I mean, since we, you know, came up with the name and have been promoting it, what have you, nine times out of 10 artists get the joke immediately. The satirical nature right. of the name, they totally get it. If 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 I bump into uh, the average art collector or gallerist or uh, dare I say uh, snob, uh, right. you know they don't get it at all. Right. I mean, it's that's like, wonderful. It's I love like, that. Yeah. Oh, so <laughs> not real art. I don't even. What does that even mean? You're not our audience. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this exactly. isn't for you. you know? Not real audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because you know my favorite artists uh, are always the ones you know pushing the envelope. They're the ones challenging the gatekeepers and the status quo. And uh, they're usually the first ones to be labeled not a real artist. Well, that's not a real artist. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. And uh, again, you know, it is to each its own, whatever moves you. Art should move you at the very least, whatever it does. That's what I like about our name too. It's a thinker. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you you tell me what what you think it means. Exactly. I know what I know. You know, I know what I know it to mean, you know. Uh, but uh, in terms of art these days, what do you, what do you, who are you digging? What, uh, have you been to a show recently? I what's, just what's going was on? at the We Rise uh, opening yeah, uh, so on I saw the that on your 17th. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Yossi Sargent is kind of behind it. Yep. Uh, and, the, and the LA County uh, Department of Mental Health yep. uh, put this on. And such so, an important show. Oh, man. So many great artists and such great, beautiful art, but rooted in you know, mental wellness and mental health. And yep. and it's one of those taboo subjects. Again, art is the one to be able to go out there and start talking about the shit that nobody wants to talk about. So many artists deal with mental health issues that, you know, yep. which, which this the art becomes that release and that pressure valve that allows them to sort of say it without being able to say it or whatever. And I don't want to speak for everybody, but this has all been well-documented. So I love to see the support, you know, Ernesto Yerena, who is a protege of Shepherd Fairies, is very public about his battles with, I don't want to say mental wellness, uh, but just mental, mental health illness. issues, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, health and, yeah. and, and he's open and, uh, and vulnerable and honest about that. And so he's an obvious guy that would participate in this. And then they have the, they're having panels and speakers from within and without the art community 
that that you know what it's like when someone just shares their story that's your story and you were embarrassed to talk about it. Yeah. But as soon as someone else talks about it, then you're like, okay, I don't have to be so right. weirded out by this. I'm not so strange and I can speak up and I can listen and I can hear what's working for them. Those are the keys to finding solutions and, and health. You know, it all talks with, it all starts with acknowledging it, right? Everybody says that the first step in solving a problem is acknowledging there's a problem. And so that's wonderful. So that's been the most recent thing I, I, I just attended and I'm excited about it. Uh, just down the street is the Wisdom, which has some really incredible art too. If you haven't had a chance to see that, highly recommend it. Live music with art in these geodesic domes, projection mapping. And it's on the same street, Palmetto downtown. Mm -hmm. um, those are the two things I've been involved with. I'm intrigued by this uh, this trend towards artificial intelligence and in art. You know, there's this, the Instagram uh, star, Lil Michaela, right? proclaims to be a robot or artificial intelligence is user generated it, it's it's just it's blending and they're interviewing real people and you know you might have seen the calvin klein commercial with bella hadid I, it's just we're entering a whole new phase of of artistic presentation and what that means in the nexus and the collision of entertainment pop culture art it's it's a really interesting place to see where it's going to happen yeah, the mashup is just, I mean, it's all happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it always has been collaborative right. and yeah. mashup, but this, it's just, it's just uncharted territory right now. Right. So it's like a whole new medium. We've always had art and sculpture and sound and music and acting, but this, this iteration of it with artificial intelligence, you know, will, will, we, will we give awards to a computer that created something on its own? I, I, First of all, who should we give a shit if we're giving awards to as it relates to art? But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. That's that's looking forward. That's um, I've got my eye on that. See where it's going. Where we where, how we respond as a society. Yeah, I don't know if you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast, but he, um, yeah, he had a really interesting guy on the other day. Metzel, I think his last name was, just wrote a book called Hacking Darwin, mm. um, and it was you know, it was a deep conversation about AI and. And where it's all going in robotics and, you know, of course, there's a lot of fear around this stuff, which really just the flip side of ignorance, you know, like not, you know, I mean, I think some fear is legit. I mean, I don't mean to discount all the fear, but sure. like, but it's, uh, it, it, we're in uncharted territory, but, uh, you know, if these are tools that we can use in our practice, uh, you know, to, to collaborate and create new expressions, artistic expressions, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. I have recently been reading uh, Yuval Noah Harari. Mm -hmm. he, he wrote a book called Sapiens and Homo yes. Deus, and he speaks about this too. And some of my friends say he's a little bit of a, a nihilist, <laughs> uh, negative view, but but he does make the point, like as throughout history, you know, technology and science has discovered things that can either be used to, you know solve medical problems or, or create weapons of mass destruction. You know, when you talk about robots and artificial intelligence being armies, you know, they'll, they'll be very efficient, right? Um, but they also won't have any kind of empathy or at all. So, you know, soldiers like it or not, and I, I even hate to have to use war as an example, but you know, they have to make snap judgment, police, teachers, paramedics, soldiers, all these people have to, you know, make decisions based on sort of the human element. And if we eliminate that, on the one hand, you're going to get extreme efficiency and accuracy, but we don't know what the cost is on the other side. And whatever happens so far, as far as we know, someone has to control it, both the input and the management of whatever it becomes 
And then, then we have to hope that that person is altruistic and, and, and good. Yeah. So it can, can cause some anxiety because we just, you know, as we said in the beginning, man has shown many times that he makes bad decisions that are selfish and not really for the interest of all, but the, 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 the tools and the knowledge and the capabilities are phenomenal in what it can do. Who's to say we can't live in a society where we don't have to be producing and production for consumption, that we can't enjoy art and travel and food and family and storytelling or whatever those things are because technology has taken care of some of the mundane things. And, and so nobody has to be at the bottom of the totem pole of, of a caste system or whatever. My friend, Roger Malinowski, who works with me, we were talking about how when you meet people, you always go, so what do you do? You know, we immediately go, well, this is my career and that defines me. But he, he likes the question, what do you contribute? Yes. What do you contribute? And I like that, you know, and that can mean anything, but it does imply that we're all in it together. And so if we can use the technology to that end, um, life could be wonderful. Contribution. That's a powerful word. It is. Idea, concept, you know. And I love it. And it can yeah. it doesn't have to be in the form of, of money, right? right? You know, money is a currency, which is energy. We even talk about electricity as a current, right? You yeah. know, a currency. It's a tool. We we can't just worship the tool. Yeah. So but but you can contribute your time, mm -hmm. uh, your energy, your thoughts, um, your words, your resources. And 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 it goes back again to that. That's where most almost almost to a person, everyone agrees. That's where you find the most fulfillment is in service of some form or another. Yeah. No, I mean one of my greatest joys is fucking holding a door for somebody. Yeah. I mean, as simple as that sounds. Like I was talking, you know, uh, unless you're a prison guard. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but you know, getting back to so many of our themes today, you know, love, gratitude, community giving back contribution. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be a very simple thing, right. you know, leading with a smile. I'm not, I speak one language, English, and I don't even speak that very well, <laughs> but I've traveled all over the world and usually I don't know the language, but I'll tell you what, a smile will, will handle a lot of bullshit, you know, yeah. and cut through a lot of crap and, you know, handling yourself in this world, walking, down the street, holding your your head high with a smile and holding a door, being polite, being nice, exuding positive energy, exuding love. I mean, if everybody was doing that. It's the one thing you can give and give and give and never deplete. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, man. Well, that's, that's by the way, my intuition is telling me this is a good place to, <laughs> to, to wrap up uh, our little uh, podcast today because what a positive message to end on. Yeah. Brother, I'm so glad that you came and sat down and Grateful played podcast with me. me. Yeah, no, I, I've enjoyed it. It's a beautiful, for those of you who don't, can't see this, it's just beautiful. It's a gorgeous day outside. Sun's peeking through some clouds, windows in the studio. It's very warm. There's a lot of books and art and music and albums. And it's just a, it's a really comfortable environment. Thank you for having me. Thank you, brother. No, that's awesome. Well, we, we, we do what we can to be hospitable and warm and cozy, as we like to say. And of course, it's all about the people really at the end of the day. And, uh, with you in the room, my friend, it's uh, definitely a better place. So I appreciate you very much. Uh, now, before we sign off, here's we gotta you know give the shout out to those listeners uh, who may be interested in contacting you regarding B Core. Um, how can they find B Core? Yeah, so our website is bcore.com, B-E-C-O-R-E. 
Uh, we're downtown LA, but we work all over. We've got a great group of diverse individuals who are more than happy to help. We're about the real world, real experience. If you want to connect with your audience, we 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 issue terms like targeting consumers and all that. We're we're just we're, we're in the real world with real experience connecting uh, audiences and and helping you help them. Then we're that's when you want to think of us and and. If it makes you feel better, you'll be in company of Red Bull and and Microsoft and Nike and Harley Davidson. Just some of the more well known brands of the world have entrusted us to be a partner, and and we don't uh, we don't take that lightly. And we'd love to be one for you. And you serve it all with love, which that's is right. fantastic. I mean, that's, right. that's not bullshit. Kelly, my friend, you're the best. Thanks so much. Thank you. Peace out. Hey there. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and share it with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please be sure to press subscribe and follow us on IG at Not Real Artificial. We appreciate the support. Sourdough, out. 